two in the fall and California's in the West has jumped way up to the top of the chart. It might be number two behind Texas um, on total population. Over 20 years and all that, I've really gotten to learn a lot about their language and their response and their response to my calling and just how they act. Statistically, um, after 10 o'clock, we probably killed 70 to 80% of our birds. And you know, if you talk to most experienced, you know, turkey hunters across the nation, it's probably very similar. I would say it starts off with just the interaction with the animal, similar to elk hunting. You know, you're calling elk, you're calling turkeys, you're interacting, you're speaking the language. Um, but over the years, it's kind of evolved for me as far as hunting them from not only interacting to them, but challenging yourself to bow hunt them and bow hunt them close range, 20 yards and in. Um, you know, just trying to be, like I told you earlier during your hunt, just more of an Indian, um, getting close, challenging yourself, challenging your, you know, your woodsmanship, um, your calling, your setup, um, decoying, and just kind of taking all, all that into consideration and executing the plan of killing a wild turkey with a bow. to the RNA Outdoors podcast fueled by Ripcord Arrowrest and First Light Hunting Apparel. At RNA, we are a public land DIY conservationists that love to share our passion for the outdoors. So join us and our team as we interview professionals in the industry to share insight knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful. listeners, subscribers, and fellow outdoorsmen and women. This is your host, Lucas Paw, and I'm excited to tell you about some of the sponsors that continue to help make this podcast not only happen, but grow and thrive in this digital world of audio content. This podcast is brought to you by Ripcord Arrowrest, the bow hunter's number one fall away rest on the market. Ripcord is known for 100% full-time arrow containment in their patented drop-dead brake system that eliminates launcher bounce back. Best of all, Ripcord is backed by their rock-solid guarantee. If the original owner has a part break for any reason, it will be repaired or replaced at no charge. And did I mention, Ripcord is located in southwest Montana, where all their products are made with pride in America. Check them out at ripcordarrest.com and on their social media feeds. This podcast is brought to you by First Light Clothing and Hunting Apparel. Born in the Rockies in central Idaho, First Light's mission is to create simple yet proven versatile gear that provides comfort and performance in any situation while working to promote the pursuit of ethical hunting and stewardship. I recently joined the First Light Pro Staff team 
and have continued to be impressed year after year in their innovations in engineering and merino wool fabrics. Ten years ago, they started putting out wool fabrics with camo patterns, and immediately this changed the game. Since then, they offer multiple layering systems and kits in various proprietary patterns and continue to raise the bar with their competition. Find them online at firstlight.com or under their social media feeds. Go farther, stay longer. A little stronger in the left, but I can hear both. Okay. I'm going to pump you up a little bit. Don't get any ideas. <laughs> Move your speaker to the side so you can... <laughs> yeah. You're almost on empty there, buddy. You're good? Let's keep it that way. You're good? For a okay. While. Yeah. You don't want me to have to do too much editing. No, I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. No, we can't get in trouble. I'm going to open up this podcast with kind of a trivia question. Uh-oh. And I think I've got the right guy at the table right now that can answer it. So wild turkeys exist in 49 of 50 states. What state do wild turkeys not exist in? Think about it. Columbia. No, Alaska. <laughs> you got it. So Alaska. Wow, that was a tough one. There are over 6 million turkeys is what they estimate in the world and in every state except alaska that their proliferation is so but after this year minus that by 30 28 30 now yeah so after today so we we could probably do formal reductions but um i am here with the hashtag turkey slayer mr chris stone yeah. welcome to the Arnie outdoors podcast thanks man so um Long time coming right here. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I was thinking kind of, I think the first time I, I at least had, had heard of you or, or even um, knew of your existence on earth was on Jay Scott's podcast. And yeah. uh, it was when I just started kind of getting into turkey hunting. And it's probably, what, three or four years ago, I think, when you were on Jay's podcast, maybe before that. For my first one. Yeah. And uh, he's like, yeah, this is Chris Stone. He's from California. And he hunts turkeys and i'm like oh okay i'm gonna check this out and next thing i know I, of course i start you know kind of digging following you and i think we've just kind of connected over the years from that and uh just obviously um gotten to know each other and but formally this weekend was the first time we've been able to actually connect so um oh, yeah. which has been an awesome experience um coming up and visiting and and just having a good time and and uh yeah just enjoying your company you know i think yeah. i always think about like hunting brings people together communities together like people that um you would may never associate with or may never even know but it's it's hunting that brings a lot of people together sometimes which is True. which i think is cool yep and it opens up opportunities and opens up doors to you know hunts and just a whole other lifestyles and just other yeah. parts of your life you know absolutely so i guess i wasn't so trivia question number two oh yeah so I, I couldn't get you off the hook because you know you're right i mean there are they say over there's got to be more than six million turkeys but they say that their estimated number around six million turkeys in 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 the lower 48 but of of those um six million when were turkeys introduced into california wow i'm not really the historian but uh, i want to say it was 
back in the 70s or 80s. I could be off. So 1959. All right. I was way off. Yeah. California off. Department of Fishing Game imported <coughs> and released a thousand of live trap wild turkeys. So now the next question is. Rio Grande. Think about the think about the subspecies and where they came from. Rio Grande and I would guess Texas. Yeah. So absolutely right. From over 200 locations uh, in Texas, the Rio Grande subspecies um, was introduced in 1959. And obviously today you can see what the populations have done, right? You're a huge proponent. I mean, you're, you're, you're part of the National Wildlife Turkey Federation. Um, I know you're part of Boone and Crockett yeah. Club and, and a lot of conservation efforts. But, um, you know, I guess when you think about, like, people that hunt turkeys, I mean, it can become a sickness real quick. And I can see how it can become a sickness because there are certain ways people hunt turkeys, right? I think yeah. about, and you've hunted them. Eastern, you've hunted them, um, you know, you've hunted uh, Merriam. You've, you've pretty much hunted every subspecies except Osceola, right? Osceola, Goulds. Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. And, and the Goulds turkey. But <clears throat> when you think about a turkey, I guess it's like an elk. You've got three species of elk, but they all essentially have the same behavior to some extent. Correct. Right? Correct. I mean, they all are attracted to hens, and during the springtime of year, the hens go into heat, and it's game time. Yep. Right. Yep. So, um, but but specific to California, it is a success story because at one point, and I recall doing a little bit of history on wild turkeys, um, they were on the point of extinction at some point in the United States. And through through organizations like National Wild Turkey Federation and others, they've been able to conserve the wild turkey to where at point now where it's at populations where California in the in the, in the spring you can shoot three birds. Right. Correct. And uh, three in the spring, two in the fall, and California is in the west has jumped way up to the top of the chart. Mm-hmm. It might be number two behind Texas um, on total population. Okay. So what, like, so if I was to like ask you, like, you kill a lot of stuff, right? I'm walking through your house. I'm like, I'm like, wow, this is this is this is some pretty impressive stuff you got hanging on the wall. What attracts you? to a bird a 20 pound bird i mean what what is the fascination with with turkey hunting because i haven't done it my whole life and born and raised in montana i come to california and a friend of mine goes hey you ever turkey hunted i'm like yeah i used to you know shoot them with a 30 odd six i mean i no, i didn't turkey hunt i mean we would shoot them and but it's like there's something about it that captures you and i've kind of figured out some of what that is now hunting this the certain way that you guys hunt them here but what is it about turkeys for you that makes you enjoy it so much to where yeah you i mean you're part of 28 harvest this year that's that's incredible i don't know anyone that's been a part of something like that um you know i would say it starts off with just the interaction with the animal similar to elk hunting you know you're calling elk you're calling turkeys you're interacting you're speaking the language um but over the years it's kind of evolved for me as far as hunting them from not only interacting to them but challenging yourself to bow hunt them and bow hunt them close range 20 yards and in okay um you know just trying to be like i told you earlier during your hunt just more of an indian um getting close challenging yourself challenging your 
you know, your woodsmanship, sure. um, your calling, your setup, um, decoying, and just kind of taking all, all that into consideration and executing the plan of killing a wild turkey with a bow. Yeah, so for an animal that, I mean, you could literally go out there and have not showered for <clears throat> 10 days, rolled around in the mud, and since by no means an issue, right? No, if, if most, it was, you, you, it would be hard to kill a tur- yeah, wild turkey. And so most animals that, like Western animals that, you know, you and I have talked about all weekend and, and like to hunt and share to hunt, the scent is probably, it's like they say, they can see you once, right, hear you twice. If they smell you once, they're done, right? So, but with turkeys, it's like, yeah, they're not going to smell you, but their eyesight and their sense of hearing is absolutely incredible. And, and the way I've always, I guess, preface it from what I've learned more about turkeys is if you lived your whole life as being prey, you would probably have the same senses that they do. True. Um, you know, kind of going back to your first question into this, turkeys, you'll never be able to figure out when you think you haven't figured out the next day when you think you're going to kill that bird, it does something completely opposite and leaves you scratching your head. Now, regarding the eyesight, the hearing, a wild turkey, once you're hunting them, you're in the woods, it's it's a whole different world. You're in their atmosphere. Like you said, their prey, I mean, they're on the edge. They're com- constantly being, consu- you know, um, Coyotes are coming after them. Sure. Outlines are coming after them. Predators. Predators are coming after them. Hunters are coming after them. And so they're always on edge. And you have this short time during the spring where you kind of catch them off edge. And you got to take advantage of that. Yeah. Um, and you got to do your best to your abilities to do that. You know, you'll see a wild turkey driving down the road and he sees you, you're in a vehicle and he's 10 yards off the road, and he'll just sit there and look at you. He knows that vehicle's not a threat. He's used to vehicles driving by. But you go into the National Forest, BLM, even private property, and you get in camo, and you start throwing calls at him, or you start trying to stalk a turkey or something. That bird is, his senses are level red. Sure. So to, you know, get into range and kill that bird it's just you know it's it's tough yeah and it's it it, so when when i've looked at you know like you know understanding turkey behaviors and and studying them because i i like to think of myself as a student of the game when i do a lot of hunting but so like turkeys again turkeys is kind of a foreign thing to me but if you compare it or parallel it to elk hunting to some extent in september there's a lot of similarities um you go into an area you call if a turkey gobbles, boom, right? Okay, we've located one. September, you go into the elk woods, you know, throw out a bugle. Locate bugle, bull bugles back, boom, we've located one. So just the tactic of going into wherever you're going to hunt and trying to locate one is very similar to elk hunting. So that I could attenuate to with how you guys turkey hunt, which is how I've turkey hunted in the past, right? Try to locate one and then go in and try to make a play. Now, this whole game around setting up decoys and the calling sequences and knowing when they gobble and don't call back because you're trying to initiate them and then get aggressive and then start, you know, so 
it's just like, I mean, it's so much like elk hunting that, which me has me so interested because I love to elk hunt, mm-hmm. but I've rarely ever hunted turkeys over decoys. So it's a, it was a whole new learning curve for me coming in and I've realized wh- how someone can get addicted to it. Oh, you, after, you, you got to see this, it all this weekend. After this afternoon's, I mean, it actually, even yesterday, that call in sequence with that, with that big mature bird that came in, that was like, it was so funny watching your reaction because we went in. And you did your, your slate call. He gobbled, and it sounded like coming his way. And then I think we walked down a little farther, and he hit again, and he was closer. And it was just like jailhouse. Yeah, it was just like the jail like <laughs> yeah. broke free. We were sprinting for the closest tree. It was awesome. Digging was, decoys out, digging was, calls out, and just panic mode. And, it, and then it was just like then we got set up, and then you started calling, and then you could tell the realization of how much closer they had gotten from the last time. Yeah. And then you hit your call again, and next thing you know, they're boiling over the ridge yeah like it, it's 40 yards away yeah coming in hot it, it so another term right they're coming in hot it's yeah. like we were calling at birds earlier that morning and you know they were they were coming back but you could i think your sense and tell with your with your experience doing it like knowing whether a bird's hot or not and this time of year you know we're getting to that tail end of the year where you know, either a bird's going to be really high, he's going to come in, or he'll sit there and gobble at you for an hour, but he's never going to come in. Yeah. Right? Um, but it, it's it's interesting hunting something like, again, it's, it, it's, a, it's a species of animal that you wouldn't think would totally transform how you hunt, but it really does. I mean, in the, at the end yeah. of the day, when you think about it, it's, it's a heck of a lot of fun hunting these birds. Oh, it's awesome. I mean, especially in the springtime, you know, here in California, it's lush green. It's, you know, awesome weather. Um, you know, you have friends, family out with you. You know, you're out in the woods getting away from the everyday hectic life, and you're out there trying to harvest a turkey, you know, and you're interacting with turkeys. And when you get that response, like you're talking about, you know, you might have a bird that responds a certain way versus a bird who just hammers back at you. Um, me, when I get that response, when a bird hammers back to me, when I know that it's game on, he's going to come in, I know that response. And, you know, not to boast my numbers or brag, but for the last 20 years, I mean, I've been a part of an average of 20 to 25 kills. A season, right? A season. Yeah. And that's probably, so it's 20, 25 kills a season, probably... 30 to 35 call-ins so that you know there's always five to ten birds that get away whether someone misses whether they don't get a shot yeah bird spooks sees something it doesn't like you know and then on top of that there's probably another 20 or 30 call-ins of just jakes yeah you know versus a long beard adult tom um so i've over 20 years and all that i've really gotten to learn a lot about their language and their response and their response to my calling and just how they act. Sure. Um, their behavior, you know, right. Yeah. I mean, just their language, their behavior, where you're at time of day. Um, you know, I mean, there's a whole, you know, gamut of different circumstances and, you know, everything that kind of comes into play. And, you know, when I'm out there hunting like this weekend, I was hunting with you I might be doing something and I don't necessarily explain it to you, but you might see a reaction and go, what's he doing? What's Chris doing? 
why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? It's because just inside instinctively, I know what that bird's doing. I know how he's responding. I know if he's going to come in in 30 seconds or if he's going to take his time and work around the canyon in a half hour. So, And that's experience. I mean, correct. you instinctually know that depending on how a bird gobbles at you or how it reacts to your call, that you know that's, a, as you say, a hot bird, coin term, and he comes blowing in like that one did. Or like the ones today where you call at them and it was a 20 to 30 minute sequence to get them to a point where they came in and committed to it. But it was interesting watching your behavior um, because it's very similar when if I'm calling elk for my buddies, it's the same thing. If we're sitting on a knoll, we bugle or even we cow call, we hear a bull bugle. Okay, we go get set up. Well, that bull could have covered three, four hundred yards in that time we get set up. If he's here and the shooter's here, I'm going to come around and I'm going to try to pull him by the shooter. I mean, that's a natural natural thing to do, which is exactly what you did you set up today. Because when, exactly. you, when you got above me and called, you were trying to pull them up that canyon so they wouldn't come behind us. Once you yeah. got them pulled up that canyon, you kicked back and said, hey, I'm going to call them into this area where we had the decoy set up, so I'm going to call them by you. It was like a textbook how it happened, but how everything unfolded and and the timing of it, I mean, it was a 20 to 30 minute, you know, time frame Mm -hmm. that it took for all that to unfold. But I mean, you couldn't have, I mean, I don't think you could have wrote the book any better in the way in terms of how it unfolded. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was an awesome experience to, to what, to your coin phrase, to what you said, it's like, you know, every turkey hunter should experience an experience like that, where you have you know, the caller, the shooter, the decoys, I mean, the, the interaction with the decoys, uh, and then obviously, you know, making the shot count, which it did. And it was yeah. just a, it was just an awesome experience. Yeah. It was like, I told you, it was probably the call in and hunt of this spring so far, as far as just everything taken into consideration and the amount of birds that came in. Uh, we had four long beards that eventually came in and they, once they committed, I mean, they came in hot, thundering. They were hitting every call I hit, but it took a little work. Um, like you explained, like elk hunting, you know, I kind of got to a point in the calling sequence when I knew they were going to come from one direction, and that direction was going to put them close to a little bit of a hump, a little bit of a rise in the ridge, and I need to bring them just over that ridge. 10 yards yeah so they would be in view of the decoys and then once they saw the decoys um they would commit to the the decoys and then give you your perfect shot and by doing that prior to that just like you know elk hunting um you know i was moving all over that ridge top within you know 30 40 50 yard range but i was moving back and forth calling acting like a hen who wants attention you know i wasn't staying stationary in one little spot calling because if a tom hears that or a group of toms hears that you know they're going to figure that out that that just it doesn't sound right doesn't sound normal so while you're sitting there with your bow in hand the decoys are 16 yards away from you i'm running all over that ridge calling just sounding like a hen going back and forth trying to get pretty much some love from a tom yeah and then Finally, when those toms came into that 50, 60 yard range, I kind of just went into a position where I knew if it came to the calling, they would catch a visual of those decoys. And then from there, it was pretty much on you. Yeah. And it was, I will say it was, it was impressive watching you 
doing what you were doing because, I mean, as the shooter, you're sitting back and kind of watching this thing happen. And again, you were, you had a thought in mind how they were going to come in. One of two scenarios, the scenario played out the way that you thought it was going to, but it only played out that way because once you got them to a point where you knew they were getting closer and they were getting committed is when you ended up going past me again, going down below me and then doing that call sequence again. Then you went quiet on them. They went quiet. Um, I hate then, that by the way. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's, because it's, you're, it's part of it, but it's just, it's nerve wracking. Cause you know, but you have to do that. I mean, I don't know how many birds we've killed going quiet after calling aggressive yeah. because you know, it just breaks their curiosity and they're like, well, they're like okay, where'd she go? Where'd she go? What's she doing? then they finally break and commit in. Yeah. You know? It was interesting. You, you, you told me that this morning when I was, when I was out this morning, you're like, okay, give it like 10, 15 minutes, put out some calc or put out some, some, just some light clock. So I did boom, they hit it. It was like, maybe just do a little aggressive calling, you know, a little, um, a little cutting, right. And then do a little clock and then just stop. And I was doing that and the birds were hitting back on it, but they weren't committing. And mm. I think, you know, part of that was, is, you know, they, they didn't pitch out on the side we were on and they didn't, they were obviously roosted on the other side. And, and like you said, and it was interesting when you're comment about, you know, you know, when do you kill the most turkeys? Right. And I was trying to understand, like, cause I'm thinking in elk standards, I kill most of my elk, not in the morning. It's either that 10 to two o'clock for a time frame, or it's like after 7 PM. And it's like that, it's like that time where yeah, the bulls in the morning, they got cows, right? They're pushing cows up the mountain. They're trying to figure out, okay, um, how many cows am I going to take from this bull? If it's a satellite bull, if it's obviously the herd bull, right? They're trying to figure all that out. Whereas um, during the middle of the day, a lot of times with turkeys, they're nesting, right? This time of year, the hens, they're yeah. nesting, or the, or the hens are nesting. So, um, so the toms and the gobblers are out by themselves and they become vulnerable at that point, Yep, which yep. makes sense to me why you probably kill more birds in the afternoon because they're out around probably looking for love, like you said. Yeah. I mean, after, you know, statistically, um, after 10 o'clock, we probably killed 70 to 80% of our birds. And, you know, if you talk to most experienced, you know, turkey hunters across the nation, it's probably very similar. Um, maybe excluding some of the states where their time limit, they're, you know, they can't hunt past 10 or 12 sure because there's some states that just don't allow that um but like i said we probably only killed 20 to 30 percent of our birds that first hour or two um and that's because majority of the time in the spring they roost in the same area or the same trees and not only do the toms roost in those trees but the hens will roost in those trees so when they all pitch down and fly down the toms attract to those hens that are right there that they roosted with and so they'll figure out for the next following hour or two you know if if they're going to um mate that hen if they're going to be attracted to that hen if she's going to pretty much you know submit to them mm -hmm. or not and so they're going to strut they're going to stay on that hen while they're you know hand up um for that first hour or two once they figure out that you know that hen's not going to give them any love and that hen leaves or that hen chases them off and it starts getting a little bit later, they're just going to lose interest in her, and then they're going to go off and try to find um, a more, you know, submissive hen, a, a hen that wants to breed who maybe doesn't have a gobbler or, you know, another bird with her. 
And so that's when they start moving, start searching, and they start gobbling more. Sure. And that's that 9, 10 o'clock range. And that to me is like their vulnerability <clears throat> stage because they're probably trying to vie for, for dominance at that point, right? They're pitching out. Their hens moving around. We saw that the first morning, yesterday morning, right? A group of gobblers, some jakes, and some hens. It was funny how the hen pulled the jake through where we were sitting, although the four or five gobblers didn't come through and follow that hen, which we thought naturally, okay, Jake's not going to be breeding this hen. That's just not going to happen, right? Here's these four or five gobblers, but none of them came through. And it's interesting just watching um, the behavior of those birds, um, thinking they were going to do one thing and they did a completely different other, which makes you wonder, okay, what like was I said, different? You'll, you'll ne- you're never going to figure them out. To your point, what was different? What do we do differently? Okay, we were... You know, was it the fact we were sitting in a blind? Was it the fact that they roosted in a different tree at some point and then they roosted and they literally roosted and pitched out where, in your opinion, you thought, I mean, this is money. They're pitching down, right? This is going to be money. Right below us. And they just didn't commit to the decoys. And we thought at one point maybe they can't see the deeks. Well, clear as day when we walked and went on that path, there was a few of them that clearly could have saw the decoys. but. There had to have been something there that deterred them from committing to the decoys and coming in for the opportunity that we were looking for. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, you'll never figure them out, but in that situation, I mean, a few guesses could have been the blind, could have been the decoys. Um, You know, who knows? Only they know. Um, But, you know, it is later season. Um, You know, they've been hunted a few times they've been called out they've been called at right you know they've been chased around um you know usually later season temperatures get warmer and i mean you can still find hot birds and you know you can still call them in but as the temperatures warm up turkeys they just kind of get lazy i mean they don't like it when it gets super hot um like we saw today after our afternoon hunt we we're driving back to my house we were driving past a meadow where you saw birds in the morning strutting and sure enough those birds were within 20 yards to where you saw them what were they doing under that tree they were literally bedded yeah. under that tree in the shade trying to stay cool and it was what 80 degrees today yeah, it was pretty warm today you know it was pretty warm yeah. um and sometimes it gets up to 90 this time of year here so yeah so thinking like so so 2019 like I've you know, like I say, we, this is the first time you and I have been able to connect, but I mean, we've been talking for a few years and kind of informally, you know, Hey, you know, nice job. You know, we've been kicking stuff back and forth on social media, but 2019, when you look back at this year for you, right? 28 birds, South Dakota, Iowa have hunted multiple species of birds. Like how do you compare this year in terms of your, in, in your career of turkey hunting compared to years prior? Is this like one of those years that's in the top? It, it's, as far as number of kills, yeah, it's definitely in the top and the top by far. Um, usually we average, like I said, about 20, and that's 18 to 20 kills a year. Last year, I think we had 19. Um, some years before that, we've had 20, 21. Sure. Um, this year we were just looking, all right, let's, let's try to get to 20 because it's, it's fun to have kind of a, a small little sure. personal Set goal, a target with your, or a goal, right? a target with your buddies yeah. and the group you hunt with. And, you know, not only do me and my close buddies that we hunt with, you know, we want to succeed and, you know, 
fill our quota and our tags, but we enjoy taking out friends, family, um, and helping them get birds. Because, I mean, just honestly, just spending time out in the woods, helping others get their birds, um, sometimes for me, it's the hugest rush. Like, honestly, there's been hunts this year where I wasn't even the shooter. I was behind the camera. And after that trigger was pulled or that arrow was released and my friend or my family member killed a bird, my hands are shaking. Mm. Like, I'm, like, just jacked up where as a shooter, I wasn't like that. I mean, I still enjoyed it as a shooter, but it's just it's just different. Sure. You know, and that pretty much shows me that it's for me, it's not about the kill. It's the experience, the call in, the whole, you know, the whole thing. It's yeah. the hunt. Yeah. The hunt for the bird. So, I mean, this year you got to experience um, South Dakota. So, South Dakota, I killed um, my first Eastern with a bow. Um, first day, public gland. It was pretty awesome. I have a buddy who lives there. Um, he took me out. Uh, we scouted first evening. And the next morning, we were on birds. Um, they pretty much went the other way. So we had to kind of relocate. And after a few hours, we got lucky and sparked a hot bird. And he came right in, made a great shot. He was down. Um, next By day, design, I mean, was your plan to, I mean, hammer that bird first thing? Or were you trying to be selective? Like, okay, I want to find with, like, nice white tips. Or, like, what were you looking for in your hunt? Or well, you no, just, that, that was an eastern. Okay. So, so dark tip. So they're dark, dark tips. tips. Okay. Yeah. So that, that hunt. I was pretty much first ample opportunity. I wanted to put a bird down, you know, here I'll try to be a little more patient when a bird comes in and try to enjoy the show when they interact with the decoys. But that hunt, as soon as that bird committed and he strutted right up to the decoys and I got to full draw, I got a perfect shot angle. You know, I put it right behind the, the wing pit and executed a perfect shot and he went eight yards, went down. So nice three, three year old bird probably 24 25 pound bird okay which those easterns are they're heavy they're big right they're, they're big they're bigger than, than probably these like the rios. rios yeah yeah they're probably average two to five pounds heavier okay so i was i was pumped it was a great hunt um you know my buddy justin he helped me out tremendously you know i appreciate that from him um i had, had him and his daughter out a couple of years ago and they were hunting here so it's kind of like a kind of a trade deal sure but um, because of that, and that was all began over communication through social media and um, online forums, hunting forums, through Bowsight, and um, you know it sparked a friendship. So sure. But um, had a great trip there. The next day, got to call a bird in for him. He killed a bird with his bow, and then uh, the following day, I went to Iowa and hunted okay. with my buddy in Iowa, who I've hunted with prior. And um, the first morning, had good luck again, whether you call it luck or skill. Eastern as well. It was an Eastern as well. Yeah. Um, called in a long beard and four or five jakes, and the long beard came into the deeks and hammered him. So it, it was good. It was a good trip. Sure. So. Yeah, and then, you know, before that in California here, you'd already shot your limit of, uh, of birds here. So, yeah. Yeah, so I had, I had five down, and I think at that point I was – as a group here for me and my buddies, we had 20, 20 or 21 total birds down. So we kind of reached our, you know, quote, 20 goal. And uh, 
you know, my buddy Joe, who you met. Yeah. You know, he's Joe Bowhunter on Instagram. Joe Bowhunter. Go at him, uh, follow him. Yeah. JF, where are you at right now? You should be here. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's probably working on his bow. He's probably tuning his bow right now, knowing him. Probably. He's probably tuning arrows or yeah. getting his buffalo set up ready yeah. for Australia. That's but, right. Um, Lucky dog. But he was just kind of like, oh, we got our goal. We're set. You know, we got 20 birds. It's time to kill some pigs and start scouting for deer and you know looking for velvet and stuff and i'm like no i want to keep going we got a couple weeks left of the season i want to reach 30 he's like no we're not going to do that i'm like watch two weekends where are we at now hey you're 28 man 28 we could be at 29 tomorrow only because of the fact tomorrow's mother's day tomorrow is mother's day and and, uh you got to give it up there i do I, i get it totally yeah. get it i've had it had a great trip and it's been it's been a lot of fun yeah but yeah it's, it's been a heck of a spring um you know i've hunted and seen a lot of birds die here in california and uh got to hunt a couple of easterns in the midwest and like i said having you out here this weekend was just it was a pleasure for me because um to be honest i wasn't sure of your turkey hunting experience Mm -hmm. and how you hunted turkeys and i think over yesterday the first day hunting with you you learned a lot about how we hunt them but i also kind of learned how your experience of hunting them and then kind of had to adapt and kind of oh yeah set up situations absolutely to where you could kind of soak in the whole um you know set up learning atmosphere and execute that and just you know better yourself as not only a hunter but you know a bow hunter yeah um my appreciation is so different of hunting birds now hunting them over decoys because literally my experience of hunting most turkeys is is get there first thing in the morning like before before light and usually whenever even call them just wait like if a coyote would howl or something or you'd hear a plane fly over or you would hear a car drive by you'd hear them shock gobble I'm like, okay, there's a bird, right? Okay, so I got a bird. So then it was like, okay, so then I'm trying to find the bird in the tree. So I'm looking at these birds. Okay, so I I found where they roosted. So they're either going to pitch out on one side of the river or the other because all the reels where we live, these down on the coast, they all roost down on the riverbeds. Big cottonwood trees, dead cottonwood trees, big pines if they're they're in the riverbeds. So it's a matter of what side are they going to roost. If they roost and if they pitch out on my side, okay, and I have a pretty good chance of trying to get close and kill them. And, and that's, I've killed four or five turkeys and all of them have been spot and stock. Uh-huh. It's been get close and just by luck of the draw, I was able to get a shot and make the right shot. So coming here and being patient, sitting up against a tree, being able to draw, sitting down, which I mean, I practice on one knee and because a lot of times elk hunting, you're on one knee, right? But sitting down, and the whole decoy thing and, and i've watched youtube videos on it and i try to prepare myself but there's nothing like being in the moment when you're the shooter release on the bowstring and all this is happening in front of you and you're like okay when do i shoot do i shoot now do i wait and uh it drives so you crazy it it, 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 it's, it gets it's you all whole, amped up it's a whole different dynamic and what i come to realize was is i'm i'm basically like the amateur here trying to understand how the experts or the subject matter experts do this. And I wanted to be the, the mentee from the mentor to understand how you guys hunt them. And so, uh-huh. I, like I said, I was soaking it in. You guys were telling me how to, and I'm like, 
I want to know, right? Help me out. I've hunted a lot of places all over the world. I've hunted, but turkeys and how you guys do it, to me, it's a, it was a foreign thing. And, and I learned so much this weekend, which made this trip so valuable to me coming here. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, in two short days, how jam packed it was with all the different hunts, all the different locations we hunted. I mean, from lowlands to up in the pines, up in the mountains, um, you got to see different tactics, setups. Um, you got to see how birds responded in a positive way, in not, in not so positive way, where we had to work them for a long time. Um, I would guess, I mean, you you learned a lot in two days, you know, and you'll be able to take that, you know, into the following spring yeah. and, you know, just take those little tips and tactics and, you know, make yourself a better turkey hunter. Um, you know, the way I began turkey hunting was with a shotgun, hunting with one hen or one Jake decoy, calling and hoping a bird came in shotgun range. You know, I did that for so many years and then eventually I just turned to a bow. Once I became just strictly bow hunting, I used a blind. You know, packing a blind everywhere, it's not the funnest thing, but you did that because it made it easier. You know, it concealed your movement. Um, You're able to get away with more movement. It covered up, you know, you, and you're able to make an easier shot. Well, me and my buddy Joe and a couple other buddies, we did that for so many years, and it just, it became routine. We were killing birds, but it just, honestly, it wasn't a challenge especially with when Dave Smith decoys came out the blind and Dave Smith decoys it just made turkey hunting almost like too simple for us it's next level yeah those decoys at one point I almost drew back because I saw the fan on that strutter and I was like there's a bird I'm like no it's not a bird that's I mean those things are so realistic yeah it's I mean I have like a blow up like one of those ones you kind of blow it up and you can hit like those things are incredible. Yeah, There's no I mean, question that those are worth their weight in gold. They are. And, you know, like we talked earlier, um, I went from the old fold foldable feather flex decoys that, you know, look like a puffed up football painted like a turkey to the Dave Smiths when they first came out. And like I explained to you, the number of birds that committed one versus the other was a huge, huge number. I mean, with the feather flexes, we'd have birds come in, but they would come in 5, 10, 15 yards shy of the decoy and look at it. Well, if you're shotgun hunting, that's fine. You can shoot that bird. But if you're bow hunting and you want a good shot with your bow and you want a close shot with your bow, you need to have those birds commit, come in close. And when they come into a a realistic decoy like the Dave Smith decoys or some of the other brands that are, you know, very realistic these days, mm-hmm. you know, it draws their attention to the decoy. They come right to the decoy where you want to shoot them. And it gives the bow hunter just that much more of an advantage to make a great shot, to get to full draw without being detected. And it just, you know, greatly increases their success. Yeah. And just doing that, from when the Dave Smiths came out, just seeing the number of our success rate just skyrocket. I mean, it was, you know, it was an it's, it's, you a said it's a no brainer. 
That yeah. was your that was your coin phrase. It's like a no brainer. And I, again, looking at those decoys set up, I mean, it it looks like a realistic scenario, right there, where you've got kind of the submitted hen, you've got kind of the I wouldn't say aggressive Jake, but then you got the strutter. So you've got the, the, the Jake that's got a little bit of a beer, but he's got his fan tail fan out. Then you've uh-huh. got the hen kind of out front that they're both looking at. Like it's this little scenario that's set up, but it's, it's designed that way to attract the bird that's gobbling 200 yards away to bring him in and say, Oh, hell no, you're not breeding that hen. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, up until this year, I had never, 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 and I preached this to several people, used more than one Jake decoy. So it, that was due to my thinking that if you have more than one Jake decoy and you have a solo longbeard come in, that a solo longbeard is going to see two Jakes and he's going to get intimidated thinking, okay, I'm outnumbered. I'm not going to come all the way in and I'm going to leave. I don't feel like fighting today. You know, I'm more in the love mood. I'm not in the fight mood. So my thinking was he's going to leave. This year I decided, well, you know, we've had so much success. I'm going to try something new. And we've had so much rainfall over this winter and spring that the grass has grown taller. So I just want a more presentable, more visible decoy setup. So I've used the Dave Smith, the strutter Jake with the Jake fan and I've used the submissive Jake with a couple of hens just to make it more visible. And the first time I did that, um, I had a buddy, Mike, from Utah come out. We had two long beards run right in, and the dominant long beard of the two came in, whooped up on the submissive Jake, and within a second turnaround, whooped up on the strutter Jake and went back and forth just kicking just ass working pretty them. much just, just working just them. working them i'm like holy shit you know this is <laughs> this is awesome and he ended up shooting that bird down and then my other other buddy brent he with his bow who was set up right next to us he shot the other one we got awesome double got a double there yeah and i was just like okay it works you know yeah we had two late season long beards that, who were hot come in and they obviously felt superior and they whooped up on the jake decoys so after that hunt, I'm like, all right, I'm going to try this again. So not even 45 minutes later, we had a whole group of longbeards coming in from 800 yards away, and they were coming in fast, set up both jakes and one hen. We had, out of those seven, we had all of them come in up to about 100 yards, and then they got to 100 yards up on this ridge, and three of them pitched off off the ridge and flew down right into the decoys. And they came in easy range for our third shooter and he hammered one of them i'm like okay i get it you know there's there's other ways to decoy him in you know not you don't have to stick to one jake you don't have to stick to one hand two hands etc you know when a bird's in an aggressive mood he wants to fight or he wants to love you know he's going to do what he wants to do and so this weekend i stuck with that and it was positive. I mean, yesterday um, we had the strutter Jake out. We had the regular Jake out, and I think we had one hen. Mm-hmm. We had those birds coming our way, goblin, real aggressive. Um, a few calls, and they're like you said, they were just barreling right, right over right the there. ridge, coming in hot. Um, what was it Longbeard and four Jakes? Yeah. And the Longbeard was chasing all the Jakes away. 
and around. I mean, he was the dominant bird. He wasn't getting ganged up on, and he came in. That hunt didn't fold out the way we wanted it to, but mm -hmm. it just shows you that, you know, one longbeard, if he's feeling it, you know, he can push around multiple jigs. And then later on, same setup, both the strutter jake and the submissive jake, a couple yeah. of hens, called in a group of jakes, and um, one of them went down. And then this afternoon, same setup, strutter jake, submissive jake, called in just four giant longbeards, epic hunt. Yeah. And they all came in just strutting, posturing at both jakes. And, I mean, you know, you closed the deal on that, made a perfect shot, and yeah, that was all she wrote on that. It was interesting. Um, so, like, comparing all the setups, the stand, if you, I guess you call them stands, maybe that's, like, when we call coyotes, we call them a coyote stand. But every stand we did, so we did the first stand yesterday morning off the roost, and just, like, I was videoing some of your calling sequences, understanding like like how you kind of call. It's just light hen calls, like when it's dark, and then you get a little more aggressive. Birds roost out, boom, go through that scenario. It doesn't play out. We go to the next spot, boom, within minutes. It's 11 o'clock. We got birds just funneling in like yeah. crazy. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I just – I didn't make a good shot. And, 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 uh, and, you know, that's just the way it goes sometimes, right? And uh, so then – so then we gather ourselves and we're like, we check out another spot. Yeah, we bring in four or five jakes. And it was funny because that scenario, it was timbered, it was down timber, it was wooded. And these jakes come filing in and they start spurring the the, the strutter decoy. Yeah. Like, and I've seen that on, I've seen it on videos, but I've never seen them actually in, in real life go up and attack. And I mean, these are jakes. I mean, they've got, you know, little lumps of spurs, but that one jake I mean, hammered that decoy twice, yeah. and uh, that was cool to see that that scenario happen and play out like it did. And and uh, yeah, we were able to we were able to get one there. But then today it was like a totally like different dynamic. I mean, same setup of decoys, but watching you move between the locations, the calling, the sequences that you did, hearing the bird gobble, basically like a locate call gobble boom get closer call them they start coming in closer and then just that whole sequence how it how it unfolded i mean to me it's the textbook way of how anyone who turkey hunts over decoys would want that scenario to play out yeah and that's kind of how it did yeah it was, it was I mean, awesome it's awesome especially you know you being the shooter you know you're naked you're in camo you're not in a blind yeah you're doing it natural style you're sitting up against a tree being motionless, just pretty much being that Indian, um, having three long beards come by you at 15 yards, then having a fourth come by you at five yards, catches something he doesn't like necessarily, but then sees the other three committing to the decoys, figures, okay, everything's fine, and then he comes, falls those three right in the decoys. So you have four giant long beards 16 yards away strutting on the decoys you know middle of the day middle of the afternoon in the sunshine their heads are just full of blood they're pumped up full fans i mean i don't know how you can't look at that and be in that scenario and be like this is not fun i know this is not getting my heart pumping um you know like i said i wasn't even shooting i was calling i was watching from 30 40 yards away where i ended up 
you know, calling from to try to bring them past you to the mm-hmm. decoys. And I'm over there just losing my mind. So, so let me, let me play some of this. So let me play some of the sequence for the listeners. So how far away are they? From you? They're at that point, I think they were what, 30, 40 yards away. Maybe every 20, time, maybe every 20. time you hit the slate. Every time I hit the slate, they were just cutting me off, hammering, all four of them. You know, just thundering through the woods. I mean, you just tapped that thing. Yeah. And they were they were just going off. Yep. Yeah. I think that's that last one, that's the close one that was like five yards from you. No, so we'll hear him alarm. We'll, you'll hear him alarm putt here shortly, but you're still... You're still pulling them off that fence line up by the house, trying trying to drag them down from where that dog was barking at them. Yeah, up up the ridge. Correct. Yeah, and I knew once they got in the woods and they were coming towards us that we were good. That's yeah. when I kind of looked at you and said, "Yeah, get ready. Here they You're come. Like, Game on. Game on. Yep. So, the so this scenario continues to play out, and uh, it was interesting because I'm. I'm remaining motionless up against the tree. And when you looked at me, you said, hey, they're coming. I couldn't see them. All of a sudden, I notice there's three birds coming through. And I hear this. The putting. So. He, he saw something he didn't like. I'm, um, not, I'm, not a, I'm not an expert turkey hunter, but I know I've heard the term alarm putt. That, and that's when they know something isn't right. And I, that's when I started to worry a little bit. And. Yeah, and my guess is he saw something with, with you or your bow that just didn't look right, didn't blend in. Sure. And that's why he then veered back towards the other three long beards and then came in the way they did. Yeah. So then the, the, the three long beards came around and were basically coming into the decoy, and that fourth one basically hedged me out and ended up joining that group. And... Uh, I know the listeners obviously can't see the video. I'll post the video later. But um, the sequence of events that occurred after that was, to your point, what probably every turkey hunter, every caller, anyone in the woods is is, is looking for, right? It, it's oh, that yeah. call-in I mean, sequence. Like I said, it's probably the most epic call-in of the season so far. Okay, here we go. Just listen. You're at full draw, I think, right? Right now. So then, okay, so I go to draw. And I hold draw because I had a bird completely fanned out looking at me. And Is your then, heart pumping a little bit? It was pumping a little bit. Yeah, surprisingly. It's amazing what a little turkey can do. And I move a little bit. And then... Oh. Game over. 28 down. Game over. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, like I said, it was probably the most epic call-in sequence in hunt of this year. I mean, and like I said, it's the 28th bird I've been a part of that I've seen go down. But to call them in from, I don't know, when they first gobbled, what were they, four or 500 yards away? Yeah. Or, I mean, they were pretty far. Yeah, they were, yeah, it's hard to say, I mean, distance-wise. But, yeah, they were, it was a distant gobble. They, right? were, they were distant, and they probably came in 
30 to 45 minutes of just, you know, working them back and forth. But every couple minutes, we could tell they're getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And to have them cut me off every call, it's just, you know, it's that positive feedback, you know, and as a caller, it just, it gets you going. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's just human nature. When you say something to someone and you get positive feedback, you get a reaction, whether you're having a conversation with someone, whether you're elk hunting, you cow call to a bull and he bugles to you, turkey hunting, going to a bar and you say something to a girl and she looks at you and hollers back. I mean, whatever it is, it's yeah, just it's po- that, it's that vocalization, positive vocalization, right? it's that feedback. It's just, it, it drives you. That's kind of that whole spring turkey hunting feel, you know, why you do it. And, um, so those birds came in, we could tell there was multiple birds. There was more than one. And eventually once they got within 50 yards and they were cutting off every call, I mean, it was just loud. I mean, it was thundering. My heart was just beating out of my chest and, you know, I'm over there just calling, watching you waiting for the birds to peek over the hill. All of a sudden I could see all these red heads and then I could see these beards swinging. I'm just like, holy shit. You know, I'm just like, this is awesome. I've done, you've you've basically said I've done my job at this point. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Let's see it, if he can actually close the deal this time. Yeah. So is what you're I thinking. Mean, they came in, I mean, strutting perfect. I mean, they came right up the decoy and, you know, you came to full draw perfectly. And to have four adult, you know, three-year-old or older birds, because like I told you, I'd seen these birds a couple of weeks prior, mm-hmm. got glass on them, you know, saw they all had good spurs, big beards, big birds. Um told you there was four long beers in the area you know and just luckily for you it yeah in a out small that way. section area but i mean the area we were in is like like if i could like think about like the quintessential call-in spot it, perfect whether it was turkey l i mean anything the canopies the shading around the edges this the sunshine in the middle the, everything about that area was just like this felt so right being in here and yeah. whether even if I didn't get a shot or not, like the everything, the way it unfolded, it was like, this feels just too dang good to be true. And that, it was you know, good. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, it was good. That and was then, a great, that was a great experience. You made a great shot. And the one you hit, I mean, he went what, four yards laid down and he was dead within 20 seconds. Sure. I mean, you made a good shot, perfect shot, went right through the vitals, boiler room. And that's all she wrote. Yeah. No, it was great. So, yeah. So I think another connection you and I have is obviously bow hunting and, uh, by no stretch of the imagination, you, you've definitely, you've definitely taken your fair share of, of animals, but, um, you've probably rifle hunted and you've spent a lot of these, say, you shot turkeys with a shotgun, but to you, like, what is it about a bow or archery for you that I guess makes it so appealing or, or makes it to where, you know what? I, I don't even feel like rifle hunting anymore. It's like, where's my bow? Challenge. I'm going to go bow hunt. The challenge. I mean, honestly, it's a challenge. Um, just for me, shooting them with the shotgun, a turkey, or shooting a deer with a rifle, it's just, you know, once you have a certain level of woodsmanship and, you know, you find that animal, shooting them with the rifle, it's just, to me, it's 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 not a challenge. Yeah. Bow hunting takes it to the next level. Um, it's a challenge. And getting within a certain distance to where you can make a clean ethical shot and, you know, take down that animal, 
with the bow. Um, to me, there's not, there's, it's, there's nothing like it. Sure. You know, it's a huge challenge. People ask me that question. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Like you go in middle of nowhere and you take your bow and it's like, well, here's the way I paraphrase it. It's like what you can do in two hours with a rifle might take me 10 days. Yeah. But in those 10 days, the amount of experience and experiences that I've had during that 10 days, you can't replace that. No. Right. It's one thing to go up in the mountain. Oh yeah. There's a deer. Boom. Done. Game over. It's still great. It's a harvest. It's a yeah. success. Right. It's a hunt. It's conservation. It's everything that we stand for. But it's always to me the steps that lead up to that point when that animal, you're going up to that animal and wrapping your hands around its antlers or whatever, right? Yeah. Grabbing its beard, looking at its spurs. So, and that's the way I've always looked at it too. It, it, it's the challenge, um, it's the journey, right? It's the eventually most A lot of, of work us up to that point. Yeah, and you think about the time and energy you put into that, the scouting. Um, obviously the financial piece to it. I mean, none of this stuff is free, right? And the gear we have, we have, we have good technical gear. Now we're shooting bows that are doing amazing things, but, um, all that stuff is great. But at the end of the day, you're still the one behind the trigger. You're still the one, you know, trying to get close and doing all that. And it's all in that matter of time to make it happen. And to me, that's, that's all a part of it. I mean, yeah. and, to you, me, and like you said, you said close. Okay. I mean, not only is it a challenge, but being close to an animal, you know, within 40 yards versus 400, you learn so much more about that animal, its behavior, that in the end, the following day, the following week, the next year, 10 years from there, it's going to make you a better hunter and you're going to understand that animal a lot better. Yeah. So it's just, you know, being close to animals, seeing them on a different sort of level you know, being in their comfort zone. It's just, you know, not only do you learn that animal, but it's just, it's an experience. Yeah. You, you hear certain sounds the animal makes, you see what they do. It's, it's, I, I don't know how to explain it other yeah. than it's just, it's a certain level of just, you know, an upper level, just being so much closer to that animal. When you're in their zone, like again, and I like to I like to do long distance shooting. Like I like to I've got a gun. I can dial the turret to a thousand yards, dope the wind, and shoot a thousand yards, right? And that takes skill too, right? Oh yeah. Anyone can go out of the box, spend five grand, buy a rifle, but they can't all shoot a thousand yards because there is there there is an art to that. There's a science behind it, but there's an art to it. But to be in an animal's I say environment or in their zone where all 12 senses that most animals have are triggering and you're in that 30 to 40 yard range, which is considered a lethal range. If you're a bow hunter, if you're a compound bow hunter, um, there's nothing like it, right? Yeah. When it, when a, when a buck's coming in and he's prancing slow and he's pushing leg by leg and he's looking and then he stops and you like, you like barely move your eyes and they stop one leg and they stand there and look at you and you're like, how did he see that? Yeah. Right. And then you're dead. You don't even move for three minutes and then he continues again and you make one subtle move and they're on you again. You can't explain being inside their, I would say vulnerable zone, right? Where yeah. an animal feels like, okay. I know something's not right and maybe I can't see something. I can't hear it. I can't smell it, but something doesn't feel right. There's something to be said about that. Right. And, and even if you miss the shot, don't get the shot being that close. 
and I've seen it many times with with elk call-ins where bulls come in and you know their vitals are covered up by a by a pine tree or a spruce or something or they can't get the shot but still the experience and the rush of that animal coming in that close and maybe not getting a shot sometimes is all anybody ever needs to have that experience right yeah i mean i've talked to numerous people who've had that exact experience or similar play out and they're satisfied you know um it's just that rush that experience that hunt you know which you cannot experience at rifle hunting and watching them at two three four hundred yards away um and I mean, I, I kind of think it goes back to thousands of years ago, you know, who were the first to bow hunt? Yeah. Or, I mean, the natives, right? The they natives. Were, they were here stick and string, shooting buffalo and all kinds of stuff to survive. And they didn't shoot them out far distances. They had to get up close and personal. And it kind of just brings you back in that, you know, that sure. circle all the way back to then. And it just, you know, it's kind of a, different way to look at it but yeah i don't know it's just you know it's kind of a spiritual thing as well you know which it makes you realize what you've done when you harvest an animal with a bow close range you know it's it's something special um it's taken a lot of work to get to that point it's taken a lot of work to execute that shot and to harvest that animal yeah you know to me the the me is important and and i don't want to send this message the wrong way to me to me the meat is always the side benefit to the experience um the woodsmanship as you say um the time in the woods you spend with people to me that that's what it's about like i didn't come up here to come home with two bags of you know breast meat now i am which is awesome and i'm grateful for that and i thank you for that but i didn't come up here for that like i came up here to to enjoy my weekend, to get out in the woods with you and to meet a new hunter friend, right. To hopefully spawn something in the future where two, well, two. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Joe's Joe's here right now. He's just, he's not here silent in, in the flesh, but he is, he is here with us. But that to me is I've gotten to that point now, I guess. And I don't say in my career, but I guess in my hunting career that I can go somewhere and hunt. And if I don't fill my tag, I can walk away and be okay. Yeah. Knowing that I had those experiences and the next time I draw that tag, I might do it differently because I learned from that. Right. And, um, and I think that's, that's all a part of it. I mean, if we went every time first day, first morning killed something, I'm not sure it would be as fun as all the times where your tail was between your legs and you walked away and you ate your tag and you put in a boil of water and you tried to eat it and you couldn't find a good way to eat tag soup and which just to me always motivates me for the next time that I go do that hunt again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you came up here, you're successful, two birds. Um, but like you said, it wasn't super, it wasn't easy. No. Um, first setup, we had four long beards. They didn't commit no shot opportunity, opportunity. Um, next setup, we had a rush setup and, and it came together a, perfect. And came most together normal and people would have made the shot, and I didn't make the shot. Correct. And then finally the third or fourth setup later after that, because we checked a few different spots, we had those jakes come in, made a good shot, bird went 10 yards, done. Yeah. And then, um, you know, today 
we just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And after a little work, we had an unbelievable hunt, but it yeah. wasn't, you know, bam, bam, you're done. You know, you got to see how a setup or two won't work. Sure. You know, I mean, today could easily have been, we could have went to that spot, went in there, called nothing, called nothing, sat there for an hour thinking, okay, I know, like you said, I know this is an area. I know there's some beard, long beards in here. We could have sat there for two hours. Nothing could have happened. We could have went to another spot. Nothing could have happened here. It's five o'clock and we're done. Right. Yeah. And we're sitting here and it's like, you know what? That's hunting, right? If it was called killing, I'm not sure as many people would be doing it. Right. Yep. But to me, that is part of the reason why we do it. It's, 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 I mean, every time I always think about it. I mean, even when I was, when I was coming up here to visit, I was playing things out in my mind, right? I'm thinking I was, I've been watching videos and shooting birds over decoys and just trying to, again, familiarize myself because I'm, I'm seeing the stuff you're doing. And I'm like, to me, it, it's so different than any, cause I don't hunt elk over decoys, right? Yeah. Spot and stock, use some light calls, but generally it's get close and just try to get an opportunity with elk and then use a call to maybe stop a bull. But other than that, I don't, I don't use a whole lot of calls. So understanding how you do it, it was interesting. But seeing it firsthand, again, like I said, it, it gives me a whole new appreciation for how you guys do it. And uh, you guys are, I mean, you, in my opinion, you guys are, are some of the best that I've ever seen do that. And I haven't seen a lot, but... I mean, to kill 28 birds in a matter of less than two months, that's yeah. that's pretty impressive track record. With a full-time job. <laughs> With a full-time job, right? With a full-time job. We're not professional family. hunters. Yeah, we're um, not professional. We got families. We don't, yeah, we don't go yeah, out. We're and, hunting weekends. And, although most people ask me, like, do you work? I'm like, yeah, I actually do have a daytime job. But, you know, everything yeah. else I do usually centers around something outdoors. But, uh yeah, just a incredible experience. Learned so much. Um, a lot of things I can take from this weekend, and yeah. and uh, beyond all that, obviously a, a friendship with you, and and hopefully many more hunts in the future to come. I oh yeah, been trying to convince you. You probably need to come down and stick a pig or maybe two at some point. It won't point. be hard to convince me to do that. Yeah. Well, so. you have the open invite, so just gotta grab Joe and bring Joe. Joe's like a pig. He. He has like a, a fad with pigs. I noticed that last night when he was Not talking about Not just pigs, him. but just anything. Yeah. It, he likes shooting. Well, he totally convinced me to shoot that Jake yesterday. <laughs> like, I don't know what you oh, had. I don't comical. know what you had for plan like A, B, C, D, E, F yesterday. Because yeah. I think we were on probably plan F yesterday. Oh. But these four Jakes come in and I'm like, and I know enough to know the difference between a Jake and a long beard. And, um. I'm like, I'm not going to shoot a Jake. I'm sitting there and I'm watching the behavior. I'm watching him hammer the strutter. And all of a sudden I hear, draw, shoot one. It's getting late in the day. And I, I kind of like played it out of my head. And all of a sudden I hear again, he goes, draw, damn it. And I look over at him and he goes, so I'm like, all right. So yeah, I, draw I think back. you said, you know, it's late in the day. You got plenty of birds to fill. Or, yeah. You know, kill. Yeah, we got, we got to, we got to kill birds. I'm like, yeah, ah, shit, whatever. So. <laughs> he totally, he totally walked me into that one. But you know what? I, it was awesome. It, it though. doesn't. I mean, it, it, it was great. The the cool thing about that setup was, and the reason why I'm so happy it played out the way it did, was having that game camera set up the way it was. Yeah, and having cool. him video the different angle. Um, I'm gonna pull those two together somehow, make a little clip side by side or something with those, because I don't even care if it was a hen watching that and 
try to find that. I'll I'll drop yeah. some slow motion on that to see that arrow. That arrow hammer come out through and, and just come out the chest, right through the chest, yeah, and you then can into see the, the feathers. Yeah, and, oh, it yeah. was that was just that was awesome. Yeah. So then the blood trail, holy moly! Yeah, I've seen less blood come out of an elk than what came out of a turkey. Yeah, I mean the turkey only went eight yards. Not very far. Not very far, but the blood trail. I mean. It seemed like it was a gallon. I know. It looked like we were tracking like a, a hard shot. Yeah. Buck or something. Yeah, exactly. Know? It was yeah. it was it was impressive. It was impressive. So Chris, twenty nineteen, you've killed twenty eight birds, you've killed birds out of state. Like what what else you got going on this year? Like what do you got planned for, for this year in your hunting in your hunting year? Uh so other than the five birds from the spring, um month and a half ago I to kill pig here in California uh, with my bow. That was pretty cool. About a 200-pound boar, black and white. Uh, hopefully get another pig or two this summer. Yep. Um, and then just start scouting for deer here in California. Um, you know, they're already starting to sprout a little bit of velvet fuzz nuts. And, yep. Um, you know, starting to get excited about that. Uh, waiting on a few draws. Still have draws in Utah, Nevada, uh, waiting on Montana. Could be questionable if I get drawn for there or not because their system crashed. But we'll see what happens with that. If I don't draw any uh, out-of-state elk tags, I'll go over the counter, um, Colorado or uh, Idaho for elk. That's one I, I can't miss. I've yeah. You know, in the last eight years, I've probably missed two or three years of elk hunting and every year i do that it just drives me crazy i don't have any more elk meat in my freezer yeah and i just kick myself in the ass as for you're doing that. going through your feed on instagram you're like oh, oh my there's my buddy oh there's my buddy oh yeah insta story oh bulls bugling like yeah september is yeah september october is it's tough if you don't have an elk tag in your pocket it hurts yeah it hurts yeah so um i'll be hunting elk and then Good. um you know other than deer here in california uh plan on hunting blacktails probably in oregon along the coast which will be fun first time i've done that yeah. kind of in the rainforest um so i've got a buddy who lives up there i'll be hunting with um you know turkeys in the fall again in, uh, here in california maybe some more pigs and then uh arizona maybe in january for coos um, you know who knows it's you year never round, know what you're going to draw, right? Yeah, I don't even know what I'm going to draw, but, you know, usually year-round there's something in season. Yeah. And, you know, if there's not a season going, might have a few weeks or a month in between, kind of a little R&R and kind of, you know, get things tuned up and ready sure. for the next season. Yeah, it's nice to, as much as we love to do what we do, taking time away and just relaxing and repairing the body like i always think about from like to me do you hear that yeah <laughs> i just heard that there's like birds bugling or er, bugling <laughs> okay that's the crown Wait, talking you want another crown yeah so the elk are gobbling and the birds are bugling no yeah the birds are gobbling right now yeah we got birds uh, it's what time is it right now it is uh, it is 8 40 8 40 the sun's gone down about 40 minutes ago and so they're in the they're trees in roost. they're roost and they're just goblin they're, they're just goblin. yeah not not a bad spot to no. do a podcast on no not at all beautiful area awesome area 
you know, people give California a lot of flack, but I tell you what, we, we've, we were pretty fortunate, you yeah. know, and people like, ah, I'm like, you know what, you'd be surprised at how many species of animals we can hunt here and how you can hunt year round. Yeah. And it's kind of the best kept secret. And, uh, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm like, I can basically hunt year round. If there's, if there's not a season, there's always a pig season and there's always a season to call in coyotes and shoot coyotes for fawn control. Right. Yep. So, uh. Yeah, it's a being transplanted here. It's not a bad place to be. So, yep, totally well, man, agree. It's been a great trip. It's been uh, it's been great getting to know you, and obviously, you know, put a face to a name now, and spend some time with you and your family, and and uh, just really enjoyed the weekend here. And uh, yeah, I really uh, I really got to get you down to chase some pigs. You can kind of get in my wheelhouse. I've been in your wheelhouse, man. I'm like yeah. I'm just like the like I say the mentee understanding how you do it here but but loved you yeah. have you down in my neck and and kind of show you show I'm, you some I'm ready hunting. for it i'm ready for it i mean i mean you're a good enough hunter i'm just gonna say all right just the pigs are down there go have fun i'll be all right right yeah for sure well cool man it was it's fun. been great yeah, yeah it's been awesome it's it's honestly it's been two days but i mean the amount of hunting we've done in these two days and the call-ins and the birds and the different locations we've gone and, you know, the different kind of elevations you've seen where we hunt. I mean, it seems longer in two days. Yeah, it does feel know? like longer in two days. Um, but usually when you have a trip like that or a weekend like that and it seems a lot longer, that's always a benefit. Yeah, well, and part of it is, I mean, like I said, we haven't formally met, but, I mean, you and I have been talking and, obviously been following each other for a few years now and it's kind of like just finally connecting it it it's cool because when you well it's interesting because you we meet a lot of people on social media just yeah. by virtue of what we do right i mean um our personal lives but then we've also got you know our basically my life that i portray on social media is my life out away from work i don't post anything with work because my work is pretty benign but for what i do outside of work is is kind of where i guess part of my identity is and how i identify myself is you know i love to hunt i love to be outdoors yep. and um so it's cool when you connect with people like that um who have a very similar passion as you you know or or um you know like i say i don't by any means consider myself a turkey hunter by any means but i'm learning more about it and and i can see after this weekend, how people can get totally addicted to it. Like some of my friends that live back East, that is, they live and die by turkey hunting and whitetail hunting. Yeah. And I'm not sure you could get me to sit in a tree stand for more than an hour. And these guys will sit in tree stands for hours. It's, it's, it's incredible uh -huh. to me, but you know, but then all the Eastern guys want to come West and hunt elk in the, in September. Right. Which is like game on. Right. I mean, any of my buddies that want to do that, it's like, let's go right let's go chase bulls bugling like crazy in september so to each is their own right everyone has yeah. their everyone has their thing everyone has their niche and uh, i think that's what what makes it right because you have people that are diehard turkey hunters i have a friend who lives down in la comes up and hunts um an era an area public land that i hunt on on somewhat frequency for deer and he loves turkeys he donates all of his time and almost his life uh, to turkey hunting under the NWTF, um, he donates money to them. He goes to their chapter dinners. He helps. So this guy is, is donates all of his free time 
to that, to just put more birds on the ground, right? Yeah. And it's people like that that give opportunities like you and I the ability to be able to go out and, I mean, look at your daughter, right? Yeah. Taking her out and... and Eight years old and she's killed four birds in the last seven months, you know, between last fall and the spring. Four birds and she has, still has one more this spring. Hopefully uh, next weekend we can get her her third one, but... Honestly, just the time in the woods with my daughter, eight years old. Yeah. I mean, it's in watching her enjoy it and, you know, have a, a great time out there. I mean, that's all that matters to me. You know, whether she harvests her bird or not, um, you know, it's not what it's about. It's about just passing it on. Next generation, her, right? Next generation, showing her a good time, showing her what it's about, educating her and, you know, helping her understand the way it's supposed to be some of my most fondest memories of my father were hunting yeah and that's you know my dad's my dad's been passed but the things that i think most about about him were the times of us elk hunting deer hunting antelope hunting i mean in, in north central montana that's those are the times that make me smile when i think about my dad right because that he was the one that instilled those values in me and my brother years ago right and, and it then it was about the meat it was about being able to put table fare and feed your family. You know, now for me, it's like I can go to the store and buy a steak. Like I, I, I won't ever go hungry, mm-hmm. but to me that, like I say, that's the side benefit of the experience that I get out of it is, you know, you've got a freezer full of, you know, meat that, you know, you can eat on for, for me by myself. I mean, I can, I've got an elk, two black tailed deer, three or four pigs in my freezer that you're good to go. I can't eat that myself. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I can't even physically every day if I eat that, eat all that in addition to all the fish that we, we caught in Alaska too. So anyway, yeah. So I'm expecting in another month, you and I are going to be doing another podcast. I'm game. Where we're going to be talking about pigs, but next time we got to have a third here, Joe. We need Joe. So, uh, so probably the next time I'm going to see you is when, if, if and when you come down and visit and you guys are going to have to chase some pigs. So you got to figure out how you can work that into Joe's schedule. You know, calling in sick is a reality at work, right? I mean, we all have sick time. We all have leave. So I'm thinking someone might have to call in some sick leave to come down and hunt some pigs. But I'd love to turn you guys loose. Do that. I'd love to turn you guys loose and on a group of about 50, 60 pigs and see how you guys do. That would be a lot of fun to watch that unveil. There'd be some flinging going on. Good. Well, Chris, like I said, thanks again. Uh, it's been it's been a great weekend and, and I've had a, an absolute blast and it's just really nice sitting here listening to 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 birds gobble on the roost on your porch. Yeah. Having a little crown. Yeah. I gotta say, this is a little. A little liquid induced, but, um, you know, most podcasts, hopefully it doesn't sound too bad. No, <laughs> most podcasts are done with a few, uh, with a few drinks. So anyway, yeah. well, good, good times. Deal. Oh yeah. It was Thanks, an awesome man. weekend, man. I'm super happy that, you know, it ended the way it did and yeah. we had a great time and got, like you said, got to bring you here and kind of show you our world and how we do things. And, you know, not only hunt turkeys and harvest turkeys, but, you know, Got to hunt with you, meet you in person, and just kind of extend and grow on you know our friendship. So yeah, and absolutely. It won't be the last time we're in the woods together. We're already talking about things that could happen in the future. So oh yeah, that's, that's what it's all about, right? Sitka's be- better be aware. <sighs> Kodiak Elk, Island, beware. Kodiak Island is four-legged animals. Beware. 
Kodiak Island is a beautiful place. <laughs> Which is probably hopefully one place that you and I set foot on together again. But yeah, there's there's so many so many places to go, so many things to do. Yeah. And I've always said work and time just seem to get in the way somehow. Oh, you know? man. Ten more years I'll be retired. Right. Well you'll you'll be three years ahead of me, but in those three years I think I can I can figure some stuff out. So <laughs> maybe I'll have to cut uh. it loose at 10 years and we can figure out our, our next journey or our next career in life. So, yeah, sounds good. Cool, man. Well, thanks again. Um, thanks for jumping on. And, uh, I look forward to, uh, having you on again at some point. Sounds good. Sounds good. Cool, man. Chris stone, AKA Turkey Slayer, Chris stone, one eighty five on Instagram. Yeah. Yep. How else can anyone get all of you? Is that pretty, probably the best way? Instagram. Yeah. I don't have Facebook. Your handle. Facebooker. I don't do that. Okay. Um, just Instagram, um, like I said, like you, it's all my hunting-related stuff. You know, I put a little bit of my personal life on there, but mostly hunting. Cool. You know, you got to keep something separate. Yeah, no, so. I agree. Totally agree. So check them out, Chris Stone 185 on Instagram, um, and you're going to see a lot of dead stuff on there. Yeah, a little bit. Cool. All right, we're signing off. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. Hey everyone, this is Lucas Paw, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to the podcast app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or use our website www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Facebook, RNA Outdoors, and Instagram, Rod and Arrow Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, and get involved with conservation efforts, and know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, go farther, stay longer. <laughs>